I think I'm on the air. Am I on the air? I'm okay? Right, thanks for the thumbs up. Thank you, Andrew, once again. I don't take this lightly of being in your shoes, but thank you so much, especially the steering committee, and Janet especially, who did uh, a lot of talking. But I'm really humbled by this opportunity to be with you once again on this very important theme on keys for kingdom living. Keys for kingdom living. We're going to stick with our text, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. I'm not going to read that portion to you, but we will refer to the various keys or texts as we go through them to see what they are saying to us and what they mean. These keys are not meant to enter into God's kingdom. We are totally dependent upon God's mercy. For his call, which comes to all of us and to every person, but when we hear that call, and we know that our sins sent Jesus to the cross, that he paid for them there, it's then that we repent towards God our Father, it's then that we put our faith and trust in his Son, Jesus Christ, it is then that we receive the almighty gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's then that we enter into God's kingdom. We are born anew. We are born again from above. So we enter in through God's mercy and call. And once we're in the kingdom of God, we receive ten magnificent kingdom keys to grow and to enjoy life in the kingdom. And tragically, so many Christians come into God's kingdom and they stay around the entrance of the kingdom, even though they've got these ten magnificent life-giving keys, and they don't use them to explore the kingdom to discover God's will for their lives, to grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. And so the keys are meant for us to use. They are faith keys. They are keys which unlock the vaults of God's grace. Vaults which haven't got corners to them. Vaults which have got eternal dimensions. Vaults through which we can discover God's help and guidance and wisdom and power and strength, even His correction. And so these ten keys that Jesus gives us in this Sermon on the Mount, is foundational to the whole New Testament. In fact, as a personal discipline at the moment, I'm memorizing Romans 8. Having heard a, a, preach, a message on that from Dr. Jeremiah in America, he maintains that that's the most important chapter in the Bible. Give it some thought. And memorizing it, and the beauty of a memorizing is you just start to meditate. And as I'm meditating in Romans 8, I'm seeing these keys from Jesus' lips. I'm seeing these keys arising out of Matthew 5 in all their New Testament glory there in Romans 8. And so these keys are meant for us to discover all that God has for us in his kingdom. And again, the kingdom of God is coming through the church. That's why Calvin said that the church is the principal theater of God's glory. Because the church is the means through which the kingdom of God is coming. As we grow as responsible members in the church, so we grow as responsible members of his kingdom. So, last time I was with you on the 13th of February, we went through the first four keys. I'm not going to repeat them. I'm just going to give you the headings again and what they were. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's the master key to the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Every building has a master key. And this is it. But we need the other keys as well. And that key is to acknowledge your need for God now and always. Number one, acknowledge your need for God now and always. I don't often quote Sir Cliff Richard, but Cliff Richard said that the more you depend upon God, the more dependable you find Him. I like that. Second key, 
Those who mourn are in a glorious state of happiness, for they will be comforted. And the line I took there in interpreting that verse is that crisis and difficulties are never forever. So learn through your crisis, learn through your difficulties. For failure and defeat are not your future. The kingdom of God is God's comfort. And of course it also means to be greatly sorry for one's sins and the sins of other people. But we won't go into that at this moment. Then also the third one is you're in a glorious state of happiness when you are meek. For only they will inherit the earth. There is the key for you, and it is desire and demand personal discipline for yourself. Personal discipline for yourself. We notice in the, one of the qualities of an elder, they are to be self-controlled. They have to have this key in their hands and in their hearts. And all the keys, of course. And there I remember John Wesley's words, the body and the soul, but the spirit and discipline make a Christian. The fourth key we, we covered is that uh, it's a case of being in a glorious state of happiness when you are always hungry and always thirsty for righteousness. The key there is to desire personal growth and to never stop learning. Keep your sponge wet. Keep soaping up the truths of God's word. Hunger for it. Right, let's go on to the fifth key, the new key. Don't forget, as we go through these keys, we are seeking also to... to Ensure that we understand this word blessed. It's a, it's a wonderful, heavy word in the Bible. It's so rich and so encouraging and invigorating. This word blessed. God is the only blessed God. All blessings come from Him. And so we're seeking to enrich this word as we add a word here and take a word here and so on. If you've got the Amplified Bible, that'll give you a wonderful insight into this word blessed. So we're going to do that in our own way as we go through these keys now. Right, here's the fifth key. You are in a glorious state of happiness. And don't forget this happiness is not the worldly happiness. This is happiness in God himself. Yes, we are in that glorious state of happiness when you show mercy, for only then will you receive mercy. The key there is make room for others to fail and to be slow to judge them. <laughs> this is a key that we often drop don't hold on to in our hearts. Make room for others to fail and to be slow to judgment. At the heart of the kingdom manifesto is not merit, mercy. Religion is founded upon merit. That's the heavy yoke of the law through which we find sin and frustration. But the kingdom of God allows you to be the person that God's called you to be. A merciful person. You want to see a kingdom citizen? Look for someone who shows mercy. When anyone else is judging, this person is showing mercy. You see, mercy is the postponement of judgment. It's not the eradication of judgment. It is the postponement of judgment. If you show mercy, it's because you decided not to use your power of judgment and to show mercy instead. We cannot show mercy unless you have the corresponding ability to judge, criticize, and condemn. Jesus said, you are not to judge because you will be judged. The measure you use will be the measure that will come back to you. And you know what it's like, and I know what it's like, when someone lets you down, when someone costs you inconvenience, when someone costs you money, when someone's messed up your project, and you've put the best into their lives, but they just make mistake after mistake, so often we just fly off the handle, and we judge them. We just wish they would go to the deepest, smallest cell, and we throw the book at them. We judge them. 
And the poor, poor person doesn't know what has hit them. No. Instead, let's show mercy. Let's be patient with them. Let's help them to learn from their mistakes. And that person will always remember you and pray for you because you showed them mercy and not judgment. And so we need to forgive people. We need to release them. That's what forgiveness means, to release people. Let's forgive them. Let's forgive that racial group. Let's forgive that person who's hurt us. Maybe not intentionally, maybe intentionally, but let's forgive them. Don't let them ride your back because they're riding your health into the ground. Forgive them, release them, and be released yourself. Don't let the circuit of mercy be broken. As you receive mercy, give mercy. God's been good to you. God's given you room. God's given you a second chance. God's been merciful to you. Show others the same mercy. Don't break the circuit. Show mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Make room for others to fail and be slow to judge them. Instead, be quick to bless them and not to judge them. Because every breath we take, my dear friends, is breathing in mercy, isn't it? It's mercy. Therefore, breathe it out over friends and enemies alike. Not just your mercy to your friends, but your enemies. Be like your Father in heaven, who sends the sun on the righteous and the unrighteous, sends his rain like he did last Sunday on the unjust and the just, on riders and unriders. Whatever it is. But be like your Father in heaven who extends His mercy to those who don't deserve it. And you do the same to people who don't deserve your mercy. You show mercy because you're showing yourself to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Let's move on to verse 8. The sixth key. You are in a glorious state of sheer happiness when your heart is pure for you will see God promise is you're going to see God. I don't know if you've come across this yet as you go through these Beatitudes. Is that this word blessing means power. It means prosperity. It means strength. And it's a word that empowers you to go through your needs. You've got to show mercy. You've got a need to show mercy. You've got a need to have your heart pure. This word blessing empowers you through that need. And embraces an eschatological need. In other words, a future need which is rushing towards us. Be it the kingdom of God, be it the new earth, be it a vision of God, be it whatever it is. So this word blessed is really a wonderful word. So you're in a glorious state of sure happiness. When your heart is pure for you will see God. The key there is protect and cultivate your thoughts. Protect and cultivate your thoughts and keep the joy before you, the joy of knowing that you're going to see the Lord. See the Lord. Because he wants to see you in all your fullness as well. Proverbs 22.11 says, He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as a friend. In the Bible days, it was a sheer honor to be able to see the king's face. The queen of Sheba said this about Solomon, Oh, happy are your men, Happy are your servants who stand continually before you, hearing your wisdom. The seven princes of Persia in Esther 1 verse 14 said they saw the king's face because they were wise men who understood the signs of the times. And if this is true of earthly kings, how much more is it not true of our heavenly king? 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose face is brighter than the midday sun, whose eyes are flaming furnaces. And this key in Christ's kingdom removes any shame when that day comes when we shall see him face to face. This key removes any shame when our hearts are pure and ready to meet him. Listen how John puts it in his first letter. And now abide in him that when he appears, you may have confidence and not be ashamed when he appears. And this Greek word pure has in it a cleansing which has to take place through outside agents. We need an out, four, in fact, four outside agents which help us to keep our hearts pure. And these agents come and do their amazing work within us. Take the first one. is the application of the precious blood. The application of the precious blood. As we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we are fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's not a sin that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse, remove, and enable God to forget it. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, talks about a fountain opened up for the descendants of David and for the people of Jerusalem. A fountain by which they will have their sins removed and also all impurities. And that verse was a verse in which William Cowper and our friend John Newton got together and composed a wonderful hymn which begins by saying, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Oh, the administration of the precious blood purifies, cleanses our hearts that we may have fellowship with the Lord and walk in His light in preparation for that great day in which we'll see our Father and our God face to face. But we've got to have our hearts cleansed continually. Then there's also the ministration of the living word. In the Old Testament, before the priest went to the altar, he first visited the brass basin. And there at the brass basin, he washed his hands and his feet. He washed his direction, he washed where he goes, and he washed his hands, his work. He was sanitized ready to go to the altar to minister before the Lord. But if he thought, no, I'm not going to the basin this morning or tonight. I'm leaving it. I'm just going straight through. If he did that, he would drop dead. They would have to drag him out, a corpse. But he first went to wash. And Jesus said in John 15 that you are already clean through the word that I've spoken to you. The word of God, the scriptures have a wonderful washing effect upon us. Cleansing our hearts of sin and impurities. And also there's the ministration of the Holy Spirit or the operation of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 says don't get all wonky, don't get all drunk, don't, get all, don't stagger around worrying about news and worrying about this and worrying about that. No, instead, like the man of Psalm 112, don't fear bad news because your heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. You're filled with the Spirit. You're balanced. You're straight. You're upright. You're not moved around by every wind of teaching that's going around today. You're filled with the Spirit. A little Zulu girl gave her life to Christ and she prayed this prayer. Oh, thou great chief, light a candle in my heart that I may see the rubbish and sweep it out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's part of being filled with the Spirit. He lightens up your heart and shows you the rubbish that is in your heart and mind. And you can sweep it out and ask Him to forgive it. Because it's not that we need more of the Holy Spirit. We have all of Him. He needs more of us. 
And He needs more of us to sweep things out of our hearts which shouldn't be there. That we may be ready to meet Him face to face one day. Then there's inspiration of the blessed hope. That's the fourth thing. As He is, so are we in this world. So we're waiting for our blessed hope. The Lord Jesus Christ to descend. And that in itself is a cleansing and purifying effect in our hearts. And so I repeat the key. You're in a supreme and glorious state of sheer happiness when your heart is pure, for you will see God. And so cultivate your thought life. Watch what you're thinking. Remember that the issues of life come out of your heart. It's not things outside that defile us. It's what goes on in our heart. Let's make sure that we cultivate our thought life. Let us do what Paul says. Meditate on those things which are good and upright and of good report, that are pure and noble and true and right. Think about those things. Cultivate your thought life. Because we're going to see the king face to face. Let's go to the seventh key. Let's go to the seventh key. Let's ramp up this word blessed now, shall we? Let's ramp it up a bit more. Let's see this key, this dynamic principle of living the kingdom life. Let's see it as follows. You peacemakers are in a supreme and glorious state of sheer happiness. You are well to do. Well, the next time someone asks you, how are you? Say, I'm well to do. You're not being proud. I'm well to do. You are well to do. You are well to do. For you will be called and owned as the sons of God because you will be saturated with satisfaction. Notice, you'll be called as sons of God. We're not slaves because slaves do not inherit from their masters. We are children of God. We're sons and daughters of God. Therefore, we inherit from our Heavenly Father. And what an inheritance we have reserved in heaven for us as His children. Here's the key. Let me give it to you in two parts. Verse 7. I'm going to spend a little more time on this one. First of all, the first part of this key is seeing that you are peacemakers. Set out daily to be a peacemaker. There the first part is. Set out daily to be a peacemaker. It's exactly the same thing as denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Jesus Christ. Set out daily to be a peacemaker. And I've been doing that for the last couple of months. In the morning, the first thing I do is say, Lord, wherever you're going, I'm coming with. Lord, wherever you're going, I'm coming with you because I want to be your peacemaker. I'm setting out with you today, Lord, to be your peacemaker. And it's amazing when you pray that prayer in the morning, how God gives you opportunity to bring the gospel of peace to people. Just to help them. As I'll show you what it all means in just a few moments. I want to emphasize this word to set out. To set out. Now see, Andrew is preaching on Luke 14 on the app this morning. On discipleship. But the pivotal verse in Luke's gospel is chapter 9, verse 51. Where Jesus is right on the top of these. He had the transfiguration experience. He's right on the top of Israel, the northern parts. And he turns around and he faces Jerusalem. Because he knows it's from Jerusalem that he'll send to the Father. That's what he's got in mind. But before that, he's got to go through the mockery of a trial and be crucified for our sins and rise from the dead. And for him to accomplish this great exodus for us, our salvation, he sets, he sets his mind and his life to go to Jerusalem. Nothing is going to stop him from doing what he needs to do in Jerusalem. Let me illustrate this 
determination that we ought to have as peacemakers every day of our lives. Think of a rugby scrum. There's a lot of rugby on the TV at the moment. I see France beat England last night. But you know what it's like when those two scrums get together? Those eight men. I mean, these guys are getting bigger and bigger by the day. I mean, criminal. Oh, they look like tanks. Those three forwards, those tight and loose heads in the hooker. Wow. And when those eight men, the first thing they do, they're going to scrum because possession is the main part of rugby. You've got to get the ball for your back line. And so when those scrums get together and they face each other, the first thing the, cr- the ref says, crouch. And so they crouch like this and they look each other in the eye. They're ready. Crouch. Then the ref says, bind. And then they hold each other's jerseys, gripping each other in the right place. Make sure their knee doesn't touch the ground because then it's the penalty and all this type of thing. And so they crouch, they're holding on. Then the ref says, sit. And boy, they lock like this and they push with all their might. And that's what I'm saying. Get up in the morning and be determined to be a peacemaker. Set your face out into the day and say, Lord, wherever you're going today, I'm coming with. And let him lead you. Because boy, people need peace today. Here's the second part of that key. Set out to be a peacemaker by helping people to regain what is lost and to repair what is broken. To help people to regain what is lost and to repair what is broken. Because people have lost things. People have brokenness in their lives. Take the first one. Help people to find what they've lost. People have lost their souls. They need salvation. That's why evangelists make wonderful peacemakers. Because they've got a burden for the lost. They've got a gift to reach the lost and to bring them to Christ. Yeah, sometimes they get pelted with eggs and tomatoes and they get criticized. That's all part of the flack we get for standing true for the Lord. But there are people who just have got a wonderful ability. They've got peacemakers all over them, evangelists. But then also, what about the broken? The ones who have got broken dreams, broken hearts, broken relationships, broken marriages, brokenness, broken finances. People have got brokenness. People are broken all over the place. No doubt they, it might be you sitting here today. That's why pastors are such wonderful peacemakers. Because they're going to people to help them put their lives together again. That once their lives are together again, their lives are more valuable than before it was broken. That's the difference that God can make when He reconciles you. So for the lost in sin, who need an evangelist, there's redemption. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And are justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption, through the power of the blood of Jesus, through the redemption in Christ Jesus. And a pastor makes a wonderful counselor, a wonderful peacemaker. Because he brings the message of reconciliation. In Romans 5.11, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. It's an accounting term, meaning that all that was out of balance and lost and needed to be reconciled has been reconciled. And so the pastor helps people to reconcile their lives. With the will of God. But you don't have to be set aside to be evangelist. You don't have to be set aside to be a pastor in the church. Every single one of us has an evangelist in them, has a pastor in them, because as Paul says in Romans, we're all competent to counsel and to be peacemakers to one another and to the world. All of us. 
We are a royal priesthood. Not just a priesthood, a royal priesthood. We are kingdom citizens with this mission to be peacemakers. And so, as you go out to be peacemakers, remember, we are ambassadors. There are properties all over Cape Town where you, I just pass, every time I come here, I pass the Zimbabwean embassy, and there's this embassy, you can see the flags. And you're an embassy of God. You're an ambassador of the Lord. And when people see what their king, the prince of darkness, is doing to them and what sin is, and they look at us and see this wonderful king we have is gracious and merciful and kind and, and just, they'll come to us and say, but I need life that you've got. I need your king. I need to be in your kingdom. And they'll come knocking at your life. They'll come knocking at your door. And you'll be able to share with them because you've been living as a peacemaker. Yes, it's so worthwhile to be a peacemaker. To realize that the long struggle between sin of man and the righteousness of God has been brought to an honorable end through the grace, mercy, and peace as shown in Jesus Christ and his cross. Why is there a need for peacemakers? Because there's so many peace breakers in the world. So many peace breakers. So let's be godly influencers. Let's build people up in their faith. Let's not use the honeybrush method and just love peace for peace's sake and sweep things under the carpet and don't deal with the problem and cut communication short just to get so-called peace. That'll come back and bite you. Don't use the honeybrush method. And don't use the rhino horn method either where you bully people into peace because you've got the authority to do so. That'll bite you and almost kill you by doing things like that. No, let's be peacemakers. They who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Let's be peacemakers. Creative for the Lord's sake. Well, let's move on. The eighth key. It had to come. It had to come. You see the progression of, 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 of uh, growth through these beatitudes, through these keys? First of all, poor in spirit, mourning over sin. And then you grow in grace, grow in your usefulness. What's going to come? Persecution. Persecution. It had to come. Listen to what Jesus says. You are you persecuted for Righteousness or in a glorious and supernatural state of sure happiness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Persecuted for his sake, not ours. How much more can the Lord give us, eh? How much more? Here's the key. I thought about this one. Be enthusiastic and enjoy life based on whose you are. Be enthusiastic and enjoy life based on whose you are. This divine energy, this enthusiasm that every Christian should have is knowing that they've been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. They've gained access into this grace in which they now stand by faith. They're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And they know that suffering produces patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope never disappoints us because the love of God is being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who God has given us. You see, we are hope dispensers. We are dispensing hope. And we do so, even if it means death. John Wesley said, Catch fire with enthusiasm, 
and people will come from miles to watch you burn. So true. A story that illustrates this came to me just the other day in an African state of Burundi. I don't know if anyone's been to Burundi, but it was controlled at that time by the Tutsi military dictators who persecuted Christians, didn't want the kingdom of God to be in their country. And so on January the 24th, 1964, Pastor Yona Kanya Munzi, an enthusiastic pastor for the gospel of Jesus Christ, was arrested and driven away. At the army base, he was asked permission. He asked permission. Please, could he have his journal? And he scribbled in his journal that he was going to heaven and asked that his journal be given to his wife. His hands were tied behind his back. And he walked to his execution singing. Like Paul and Silas in prison. Singing. And then he was singing this hymn. There's a land that is fairer day. And you need to get the words of that hymn. I haven't got time to read it all to you. There's a land that is fairer day. You know it by the chorus. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. As he sung it, turned around, suddenly the shots rang out. And he dropped dead to the ground. And they just pushed his body away like that into a stream and left it there. He was one out of 45 million people martyred for Jesus Christ during the last century. And already millions have given their lives for Christ this century. I could keep you here if I prepared for half an hour just giving you examples of people who have died for Christ this last 10 years. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. How fortunate you are because the kingdom of heaven is yours. So be enthusiastic. <laughs> you know, it's being sorrowful yet being joyful, as Paul puts it. Be enthusiastic. Lighten up. Don't take life too seriously. Say to yourself, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Billy Graham said the Gospels portray Jesus as supremely as a man of great joy, and so should his followers be as well. Martin Luther said this, the Gospel is nothing else but laughter and joy. Man, I like that. <laughs> The gospel is nothing else but laughter and joy. And if any man knew what it was to be persecuted, whose life was in danger many, many times, it is Martin Luther who stood against the worldwide church at that time. Stockholian. But he said, the gospel, when you've got this key in your heart, it's nothing but laughter and joy. Let's rejoice. The kingdom of God is ours. God is our guarantee. Ooh, I must go. I've got five minutes left. And I don't want to push my fortune here. <laughs> and let's move. Ninth key. This amplifies the eighth key. But it's a bit of a variant here to use COVID language. <laughs> and it's to do with the word you. It's the first time it appears in this kingdom manifesto. You. Oh, you. Talking to us. Is the Lord. You'll see this in the last key, but we'll see if we can do it this morning. Verse 11 says, You're in a glorious and supreme state of happiness, are you, 
You are well-to-do when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me, says Jesus, because of me. Rejoice and be glad. There it is again. I mean, there's this joy. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says again, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. That's where we're going when heaven comes to earth as well. For in the same way, the persecution of the prophets who will be before you. We're in great company, in other words. There's the key. I thought about this one. I came up with these words. Have heightened sense of expectation. Have a heightened sense of expectation. Paul says in Romans 8 that the creation itself is on its tiptoes, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, because it knows that when the sons of God are revealed, it will be released from his bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So creation is on its tiptoes, waiting for us to be revealed, for Jesus to come back. Therefore, how much more shouldn't we, the saints, be on our tiptoes, full of anticipation that Jesus is coming back? to fetch us home, and to bring our rewards to us. And so let's be on tiptoe for the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the meantime, in the meantime, prepare for the worst. Prepare for the worst. Friends, I believe that the task of the pastors and elders of churches is to prepare the saints for tribulation. David Pawson says this in his messages too. Because I know there's some teachings that says we're going to escape the Great Tribulation. Now, if it happens that way, I'm happy too. <laughs> but friends, I'm persuaded that we're going through it. Because the soul's under the throne. And I know Rob, uh, Pastor's going to take us to Revelation. But the, the soul's under the throne. I think of those special souls who went through the seven years of Tribulation. Anyway. But the point is, let's prepare for the worst. Let's not be caught unawares. Like temptation, you prepare for temptation before it comes. That's why Joseph was so successful in his ministry. Don't wait for temptation. Don't wait for trials to come because you're going to be unprepared. It's going to get worse. COVID, there's going to be more pandemics. Who thought two and a half years ago we'd have a world pandemic and a war in the heart of Europe? With Emirates and Dubai lining up with Russia. And Israel being amongst that camp. I mean, it's incredible what's going on in the world. Yes, volcanoes will keep on erupting. Earthquakes will keep shaking the earth. Freaky weather will come. And men will do unspeakable evil to one another. And if you just read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul says, In the last days there shall be terrible times. Terrible times. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasures more than the lovers of God, rude, corrupt, without love, unforgiving, disobedient to parents, having a form of godness denying the power of. In fact, Paul lists 20 things. Have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them, says Paul. And as you go to the book of Revelation, you'll see. As those trumpet sounds, as those seals are open, as those wrath, uh, the bowls of wrath are poured out, it, 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 as you get to more and more to the end of the book of Revelation, these things are happening quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. And that's exactly what we're experiencing here in the 21st century. Things are happening quicker and quicker and on a vaster scale. People say it's planet warming and all this type of thing. 
but it's happening on a vaster scale. It's all building up to the appearance of the lawless one, the Antichrist and his false prophet, who the world will acclaim and follow after, but not the kingdom of God people, not the Christians. Because we are his chosen, called, and faithful ones. We are to be faithful to the end, says Jesus. Why did he say that in Matthew 24, that great prophetic chapter? They who endure to the end shall be saved. Because it's going to be difficult times in the last days. So, expect tough times to come. Prepare for the worst. Be faithful to the end. Friends, I'm going to have to just tell the story here and basically wrap up the whole thing. So just give me a few minutes. I asked myself the question as I reached this point in preparing. I said, Lord, what sort of faith are you looking for when you come back? There's only one faith. And that's the martyr faith. The word martyr in the Greek simply means witnesses. Jesus says, you are my martyrs. It's a great privilege to suffer for Jesus as much as it is to believe in him. And I ask myself, what faith, Lord? What faith? Look, I think it's best described in this way. Let me read you a note found in the coffin of a young pastor in Zimbabwe following his martyrdom for Jesus Christ. He was a man who gave his life under Robert Mugabe's ministry or leadership. This is what this young pastor said in his note, which was found in his coffin. I quote. I tell you, just to read these words, I choke. I cannot be bought, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of the adversary. Negotiate at the temple or the table of the enemy. Or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he comes Give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me, for my banner will be Jesus, the Son of the living God. Friends, that's the faith that will see us through martyrdom. That's the faith that we've got to have. As we face the last days. So when the outlook looks grim, try the upward look. Because when the trumpet sounds and the shout of the archangel happens, he shall descend with all his angels. And we who are dead in our graves will rise to meet him in the sky. And we who are alive at the time will be caught up to meet them all in the sky. And I think the meeting will have to be in the sky. There will be no room enough on this earth to go with the angels and the church, the kingdom of God. And from there, God sets up his reign on earth. Well, friends, I'm going to close there. I know there's one more key left, but I'm just going to give you this key. That's all. I can't go into it. There's about another 10 minutes of material yet. I don't want to go over my time. Let me say verses 13 and 14 is the 10th key, where you have this emphatic you again. You see, there's no blessed are you here, because this is the sum total of this character who is a citizen of God's kingdom. And Jesus could find only two things to describe 
This wonderful treasure of his, this wonderful citizen he has in the kingdom of God, this one who carries his keys in his heart and his hand, who discovers things in God's kingdom, is not afraid to follow God and to be a peacemaker. And Jesus can only find two things that can really summarize what this person is. He says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Salt, which you can rub with your fingers, sodium chloride, so ordinary, and light, which travels 186,000 miles a second. Just look at it, it's all over the place. Light, so miraculous, the first thing God created. Let there be light. Such a contrast. And we are just ordinary people, aren't we? But we need it in this life. And yet we have the light of Jesus Christ in our hearts, shining out of us, that people may see what we do is His work through us, and they'll glorify God together with us. And so the key there is know this, that you are extremely important to your generation. You're extremely important to your neighborhood, your church, your university, your sports club. Wherever you are, you are so important, says Jesus, because you are the salt and the light wherever you are. And so I've got lots to say about salt and light here, but let me just skip over that and say this. But as you look at the salt and light, there are warnings here, very sincere warnings. Don't lose your saltiness. When salt is mixed with the wrong chemicals and when it's left alone, it can so easily lose its saltiness. And COVID has caused us to be alone. Be careful. Let's get back together. Let's fellowship because let's get the saltiness back. Let's not lose our saltiness. And also you can lose your shine. You can lose your shine. You can get dim by hiding your light under busyness and laziness. Be careful of that. And so let me say that as far as I can see, there is no life comparable to this life of living for and in the kingdom of God. Don't hang these keys on a hook behind a door in your house and forget about them. And say, oh, it was great to hear about them, great this, great that. No, have these keys in your hand daily. Have them in your heart. I have them written in the back of my Bible, and I go to them regularly. If I have a difficulty, and again, I think of Romans 8, that they who live according to the sinful nature will die, but those who live according to the Spirit and put to death the misdeeds of the, of the body shall live. I go to my keys in the back here. I know them just about off a heart, but I just read them to myself. Oh, yeah, this key. Thank you for this, Lord. So have them with you and in your heart. And may they be used by you, by faith, to open up all that the Lord has for you as you serve Him in His kingdom. God bless you. Thanks, Rodney.